Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Two decades of snail-paced revisions of Saudi schoolbooks aimed at removing supremacist references to Jews, Christians, and Shiites suggest a willingness to delete offensive language while keeping in place fundamental concepts of an ultra-conservative, anti-pluralistic, and intolerant interpretation of Islam. In a marked break with the past, Human Rights Watch and Impact SE, an education-focused Israeli research group, reported for the first time in two decades of post-9-11 pressure on Saudi Arabia that the kingdom had made significant progress in revising textbooks. The reports focused on explicit references to other religions, but noted that further revisions were needed to eliminate language that disparages practices associated with religious minorities, particularly Shiite Muslims and Sufis, sects viewed as heretics by ultra-conservatives. As long as the texts continued to disparage religious beliefs and practices of minority groups, including those of fellow Saudi citizens, it will contribute to the culture of discrimination that these groups face, said Michael Page, Human Rights Watch's Deputy Middle East Director. They removed some of the more offensive stuff, like pictures of Shiite shrines that were called polytheistic, and they removed some offensive language, but the kernel is still there. They are trying to make the language less offensive, but the whole idea is offensive, added Human Rights Watch Middle East researcher Adam Kugel. Implicit in the two reports' conclusions, but at best only summarily mentioned, was the fact that the ultra-conservative interpretation of basic religious concepts as promoted by Saudi Arabia until the rise of King Salman and his son, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, remain unaltered in the schoolbooks. These interpretations relate to the ban Ambida, or religious innovation, and Shirk, or polytheism, as well as the rejection of supplication, a thinly veiled reference to the Shia practice of intercession. Critics, including prominent Muslim scholars, argue that Saudi Arabia's failure to address problematic concepts of Islam that constitute the basis for ultra-conservative rejection of religious pluralism and supremacist and intolerant interpretations of the faith call into question the kingdom's projection of itself as a paragon of religious moderation and leader of the Islamic world. The critics assert that the significant progress reported by Human Rights Watch and Impact SE constitutes part of Saudi Arabia's effort to preempt pressure from the Biden administration as it recalibrates its relationship with the kingdom. They also charge that the progress is designed to make Saudi Arabia, whose image has been tarnished by human rights abuse and the 2018 killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, palatable to foreign direct investors, as well as boost pressure on international companies to shift their regional operations from Dubai to the kingdom. Scholars in Saudi Arabia took issue with the Human Rights Watch report, 
I do not know why the world is so busy with us, although their countries are full of things that need attention, revision, arrangement, and organization, said political sociologist Widal al-Jaban, adding that even their curricula in the West are full of mistakes against Muslims. Indonesian Muslim scholars argue that the Saudi interpretation of ibadah, the rules governing worship, constitute an innovation by defining aspects of worship practiced by a majority of Muslims in ways that are viewed by ultra-conservatives as beyond the pale. What matters is how the Saudis interpret the teachings related to how Muslims should treat anybody of a different sect or faith. The problem is how they believe the other should be treated. It doesn't matter what they call me. It doesn't matter if they call me a kafir, an infidel, as long as they truly believe that I should be treated equally. The problem is that the Saudis don't really want to change their established system of beliefs, said Yahya Cholil Stakouf, a prominent Islamic scholar and secretary general of Indonesia's Nahadatul Ulama, the world's largest Muslim movement. Mr. Stakouf was one of the major forces behind Nahadatul Ulama's charter of humanitarian Islam that embraces the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights and calls for reform of problematic or obsolete religious legal concepts that negate equal rights for all. Ali Al-Ahmad, director of the Washington-based Institute of Gulf Affairs that has long highlighted problems with Saudi textbooks, contended that when it comes to bid'ah and shirk, the Wahhabis are more guilty than other Muslims. Saudi Arabia will not be able to move forward with Wahhabism as its state religion. The concept of a state religion must be abolished before the country can move into the modern age. Mr. Al-Ahmad's comment goes to the core of the debate about religious reform in the Muslim world and whether states like Saudi Arabia, without the lead and buy-in of civil society, can achieve real and lasting change. There is no civil society. There's no dialogue. Zero, Mr. Kugel said. Significant social reforms in recent years were primarily designed to cater to youth aspirations, enable economic diversification, attract foreign direct investment, and shore up the country's tarnished image while ensuring state control on the principle of absolute obedience to the ruler. They were not rooted in a recognition that the kingdom's ultra-conservative moors were problematic in and of themselves. Discussing the textbook revisions, Mr. Kugel noted that it's not like the Saudis looked at their textbooks and saw a problem. Other people didn't like it, and the Saudis are trying to quell those concerns. The stepped-up Saudi revision of schoolbooks was in part spurred by a draft bill in the U.S. Congress that would require the Secretary of State to report annually on religious intolerance in Saudi Arabian education materials. The draft was initially introduced in 2017 by a Republican sponsor who has since retired and reintroduced in 2019. The Human Rights Watch report noted that although the revised schoolbooks 
no longer contain explicit references to Shia Islam, they still included harsh criticism of Shia practices and traditions, labeling them evidence of polytheism that threatens the existence of Islam. A school book for fourth grade nine-year-olds advised that adherence to such practices would lead to the cancellation of a person's good deeds, God's rejection of their repentance and eternal damnation. The practices include praying to saints and visiting tombs and shrines of prominent religious figures that are rejected by Wahhabism as a form of idolatry. They also involve the Shiite supplication to God via intermediaries, as well as kneeling to anyone other than God, building mosques and shrines on top of graves, and wailing over the dead. Any Saudi who reads this will understand what it means, Mr. Kugel said. Saudi Shiites noted that all Muslim students, including Shiites, were required to use these textbooks even if they were perceived as offensive. The textbooks are written under the close supervision of leading Wahhabi clerics led by Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan, one of Saudi Arabia's most senior ultra-conservative clerics, Mr. al-Ahmad said. Mr. al-Fawzan views Islam as a Wahhabi-only religion. The vision is what is reflected in Saudi textbooks and other religious literature. This means that Shia Muslims, Sufis, and other Sunni Muslims are polytheists and deviants, Mr. Al-Ahmad added. Mr. Mr. Page cautioned that as long as disparaging references to religious minorities remain in the text, it will continue to stoke controversy and condemnation. By the same token, Saudi Arabia's failure to address ultra-conservative interpretations of religious concepts that justify a rejection of pluralism and religious tolerance challenge the kingdom's claim to be a leading voice of moderation, a pillar of the country's quest to be recognized as a, if not the leader, of the Muslim world in a new world order. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best, and take care in these trying times.